0: I was, I was thinking, just wouldn't it be cool if you had an alert went off like that uh, for the Jabez prayer? It's like, you know, alert, alert, you know, warning, God got more for you than you're asking him. Seek him, ask bigger, believe bigger, you know, anyway, so I'm not mocking the, the. I'm grateful for the warning. Don't don't hear me say what I'm not saying. Anyway, glad you're in church this morning and uh, you braved uh, the weather those online. Thank you, I know. We had a picture of one of our, our staff's wife uh, at home. with. The, she had a, a big blanket in her in her bathtub, and she was laying in it. And I know there's wisdom in that. I'm not making fun of her. And, uh, you know, you, just, you, know you, you, you don't have those things up north, I guess. Um, but we're glad that you came out. Thanks, everyone, for being here and those who are watching us online. And thank the worship team that came out early And practiced. Amen. They did a great job. Amen. Come on, give them a hand. It's okay. You give them a hand. You know, we are closing our offices tomorrow. Martin Luther King, we celebrate and honor him. And, uh, you know, what a great church Mount Hermon is and Fort Myers. And so we are honored to be able to pray for them this morning. And, and uh, you know, God just, I pray that he will truly bless them a lot. This Saturday, we're having Saturday morning, having our small group leaders relaunch uh, party, gathering, training. So if you lead a group, uh, want to lead a group, Thinking about leading a group, this isn't how to get in a group. This will be about leading groups, hosting groups. So we hope that you'll sign up on your Let's Connect card. You can drop that in the basket on your way out, and we hope that you will uh, show up with us, and uh, and we'll have a good time together on Saturday. All right, we're in this series on the Jabez prayer. If you all want to throw that up, uh, First Chronicles four nine and ten. Last week we talked about standing before the Lord and saying, Lord, would you bless me a lot? I asked a group of men this past week. I said, Do you feel awkward saying that to God? And Every one of the men said, we feel really wrong saying that to God. And I'm like, part of me said, I thought to myself, I failed as a pastor uh, because I haven't got across. That he delights in his children, praying. It's not selfish. I know it feels creepy, and it feels selfish to say, Lord, bless me a lot. Because when you understand the kingdom, you understand how his blessings work, that he, he deposits blessings so that we will be a... Blessings. Some got that. He gives us lots of blessings, so we'll become a blessing. And it's, it's, it's a responsibility. So the more you get, the more he expects us to give. So that first part of the prayer, oh, or if you would bless me a lot. And then the second part uh, of the prayer is he, he asked God to expand his borders, his territory. Uh, you know, you've got to understand to them, land was everything. You know, if you didn't have land, you had nothing. You had no inheritance. And the bigger the land, the bigger your prosperity. Not that land doesn't matter to us, but it's not like it did them. And so when they praise for enlarged boundaries, think of the word opportunities. Think of the word advancements. Think of the word promotions. Think of the word uh, increased influence. Uh, and, And whether that's on a business level uh, 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 material, physical, uh, spiritual—all the above. I don't think we should define it uh, and, and it's and limit it, uh, but it's expanded influence. It's expanded opportunities. And so, if you're in a place in life where you don't want any expanded. Uh, opportunities or expanded influence or then then you're you're like already in a uh you're already ready for the grave i mean you should never the bible never admonishes us from cover to cover to enter into some period of of just slothful pleasure seeking lazy i'm just waiting till jesus comes mindset and so we want i want to take this prayer of expand my territory and I want to take it to a biblical character that, that, that walked this out. So I want you, if you're following your Bibles, we're going to be in the book of Joshua, which we're going to do a series on after the Jabez prayer. So this is kind of an introduction to the book of Joshua on conquering, taking new land. And so this is one of uh, the, the heroes of the Bible, one of my heroes. There were, there, uh, let me just give you his backstory quickly uh, so that you can kind of jump into this story. If you rewind the tape... We're going to talk about Caleb. If you rewind the tape to age 40, he follows Moses out of Egypt. He walks across the red. How would you like to tell your kids, I was there when the Red Sea was parted? Come on. I mean, what a story to pass on. Well, Grandpa, what was it like? And he got to tell his grandchildren. You know, like I was there when God flooded and and crushed and demolished and drowned the army of Egypt. I was there. And so he walks with Moses. There's some theory that Caleb was not a natural born Israelite that he adopted into the tribe of Judah. It could go either. It doesn't matter. It's just, it's interesting to me. I think he could be a a representative of God's uh, uh, love is embracing of the nation because many people that left Egypt were not Jews, it was called a mixed multitude, there were people that said, hey, I'm going with them, I've seen what their God can do, and they followed on, so so at age 40, he leaves Egypt, at age 40, God says, here's the land I've given you, and they said, well, we better check it out first, it was their idea, and God said, okay, he accommodated them, pick one from every tribe, 12 men, one of them was Caleb, one of them was Joshua, and he sent them in to check out the land, well, 10 of them came back and said, yeah, it's what God said. It's, it's amazing, but, but there's giants in the land. There's fortified cities in the land. They will eat our lunch. If we try to go in there, they will destroy. We're like grasshoppers in their sight. Coward it just put, and, it, and, and, and it says that it melted the hearts of the people. Totally caused them to shrink back and give up before they ever started. And it really upset God, but two, Joshua and Caleb had a different spirit. They wholly followed the Lord and they said, come on, we can do it. If God said he's given it to us, let's go for it. And the 10 won out and the two were overruled. And God said to one of them, Caleb said, you're going to get what you walked around. So he gave him a vision early in his life. It's a it's kind of a mixed blessing for God to do that. He's done that to me where he's given me a, a, a vision early. And I, I mean, I I had more visions and, and then I ran into life. It's funny what life will do to a vision and a dream. It'll, life is designed to crush our visions, crush, crush our dreams. and And so he spends 38 years from going in spying out the land to now God says, you're, you're none of you that, that are 20 and above that, that didn't trust me. The whole generation is going to die. So he spent 38 years wandering in the desert with a whole nation, watching all his friends die. Watching his buddies that, that he went to school with and played sports, watching them die one after another, till there were only, even Moses the leader dies. He turns over the, the reins of the kingdom, uh, if you will, the, to lead Israel to Joshua. Caleb doesn't even get that assignment. But he's happy because he's one of two left standing because of his faith. Now, that's 38 years. Now, Joshua says, let's go in. He crosses another river, he crosses the Jordan. And Caleb takes part for seven years, helping his friends, neighbors, and other tribes conquer their land. And now he's 85 years old, and he says, It's my time. And I want to pick up the story here in the book of Joshua, chapter 14, verse 6. Now, the men of Judah don't miss this because Caleb's going to come to Joshua, his buddy, but he's also his leader. And he's going to say, I want what God told me I was going to get. He's going to boldly ask. But he's not coming alone. He's coming with his clan. He's coming for his clan. He's not coming just for a selfish request. This is for his family. This is for his legacy. This is for his tribe, his people. So he comes with the men of Judah. They approach Joshua at Gilgal in verse 6. And he says, you know that the Lord said to Moses, the man of God, at Kadesh Barnea, about you and me. Verse 7. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to explore the land. I brought back a report according to my convictions. In other words, I I, I told the truth, that the the, the fruit and the honey and the, the milk and beautiful one. Yeah, there's giants there, but our God's bigger. He so said, I spoke according to my convictions, but my brothers, or say, who went up with me, made the hearts of the people melt with fear. I, however, followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. So on that day, Moses swore to me, that day that he spied the land. Moses swore to him on that day, the land on which your feet walked, you will, will be your inheritance and that for your children forever because you have followed the Lord my God, the second time this word, whole heartedly. Now then, just as the Lord promised, he has kept me alive for 45 years since the time he said this to Moses while Israel moved about the desert. So here I am today, 85 years old. Now, whether you're up at that age or you're in your, your, your teens or 20s, 30s, 40s, there's something of, of, of this character, Caleb, for all of us. There's something about acquiring a vision that's different than your peers, of not settling for the way the world says life's going to be and believing in a God that's bigger. And, and so this, what do you think he did for those 38 years in the desert? I, I'll tell you what he did. The Bible doesn't tell us. I tell you, what he didn't do was give up on his dream. What he didn't do was start compromising and saying, well, you know, life's not fair and I stood my ground and all my friends are dying and I never have gotten what God said he was going to give me. You know, I know what it is in my own life to lose vision. It's a dangerous place. Whether you're a Christian leader or you're a business person or even a parent, if you lose vision, if you lose vision for your children... There was a time my wife and I were so caught up in the, the whole rapture thing and, 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 and that we were convinced, we leaned in, we laid in bed and said, what's the point of raising our kids? What's the point of homeschooling? What's the point of sacrificing? What's the point? Because they're going to just, the Antichrist is coming and, and Jesus is going to take us gone. And, 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 and we had this, this theology that had no, no vision to it. There was, I, I had such little vision Again, I, I used to have it in life, just a failure and my own weaknesses and you know, I just shrunk back to the safety of playing it safe. You know, it's probably the most dangerous place in life is to play it safe. I've told you before, the most dangerous place in the house that more people are killed is where you'll never get this right unless you've heard me say it or read wherever i read it because sh- let me see a hand what's the most dangerous thing in the house that kills more people let me see a hand what do you think john bathtub wrong that's a good guess most people would think that it's not kitchen knives it's like the most dangerous thing in the house is the lazy boy chair just saying more homes are killed by termites than fires but we fear tornadoes let's go out on the tornado t- t- more homes are destroyed you can't see it happening it's just an erosion i was so like an vision. i had a man came up to me we we're pastoring a different church he said i, I want to give the church some money i said good he said i got seventy thousand dollars what would you do with it and i'm like well you know I, you know we could use a church van back then that was about ten grand and i had a little remark you know i probably spent 20 grand and i thought you know and he said okay and he gave the money somewhere else seventy thousand dollars because i didn't have a vision big enough he gave it to this machine in mexico that made bricks blocks out of dry sand every six seconds it would all would do is load the load the thing with dirt not wet clay dirt It was a just, and then you stack them and build homes. My kids actually went to Mexico and took part in building homes with no mortar out of these stacked bricks. We could have had that set, but I didn't have a vision for it. Let me just tell you right now, challenge me. (laughs) Test me. I got a little list here. I could spend 10 million like that. Come on challenging, but I'm sitting in this place and my wife and I go to a conference. It happened to be a vineyard conference. And I know we were in, I think it was in Kentucky. And it's like, when did the vineyard ever went? And Ken Gullickson was there. And he was like the original, original founder of the vineyard. That'd be even before John Wimber. And so we just, I don't know how we got, he prayed over us. I got everything we ever went to. We just got prayer. I mean, we, we were just prayer, uh, addicts. We just, uh, whew, we were the first ones every time at any meeting, every meeting, you know, it just, it was a hard time when someone said, Jamie, you need to start praying for other people. And I'm like, yeah, I just want to get, bro. I need, I need, give me, give me, give me. So he said and he prayed to any printer, he said, God wants me to tell you to, that your vision's too small. And I'm like, mm, oh, well, mm. 70,000. I lost vision's too small. So I had this leader. He was in my office He and I probably didn't see eye to eye on much of anything but Jesus. uh, But he did one of the kindest things anybody's ever done for me. He said, Jamie, what's your vision? And I'm like, I'm, I'm doing it. I'm pastoring here on Sanibel. I'm doing it. That was my vision. And all he did, he didn't jab me. He didn't, you know, he just tapped me on the chest. He said, there's more in you than that. And, and it was almost just like someone gave me permission to just dream again. Tears just pff, shot out of my eyes. I'm, I'm not talking about, you know those tears that they don't just dribble? They eject? They shot out of my eyes. I didn't know they were there. I wasn't sad. I wasn't depressed. But I was under-challenged. I was, I, I, I stopped dreaming and, and I sense some of you today might be in that category of, of, of uh, you need to come back to this prayer of Jabez and say, God, I, I need you to expand me inside first. I need I need I need a, a bigger vision inside before I even dream of something outside. Would you could you enlarge my capacity? Could you increase my my appetite, my 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 desires to see you use me to the full capability of what you designed me for, whatever that is. But Caleb knew his day was coming. I've been faithful. He spent 38 years being faithful, waiting on it, then seven more. You know, there's a, there's a great book. It's called, uh, he's written a number of them. He's a, a, I, I love his, his books. They're so kind of, take a different slant at things, Malcolm Gladwell. He's written a book called Outliers, and it's just about people that kind of rise above the rest and the fallacies about how that happens we have a tendency to think, well, they're just smarter than other people, like Bill Gates. And he goes through this whole thing about, he was just lucky because he got access to computer programming before anybody else did. Now he applied himself and, and he shows all these, he does these amazing things with hockey teams, whose the players excel. Any, if you look at the date of their birth, those that were born at this certain date excelled among the others because the league began anyway i can't explain it's 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 not complicated but it's like they were actually older than the other kids that got in on that year they were the old they just got in on january and they were literally like a year older so they excelled above all the other kids it was a it was a it was a it wasn't because they were more talented they were just more mature so anyway he does this thing called the ten thousand hour principle this, when I say the word wholehearted of Caleb here, I think of the 10,000 hour principle. What is the principle? The principle is that he did all this research about these like, like gifted museums, musicians. They ended up in three different categories. One went on to be, you know, famous. One went on to be uh, a music teacher and one went on to just kind of dabble with it, whatever. And what separated the three wasn't genius It was 10,000 hours of practice. And he brings out the Beatles and said, you know, the Beatles, when they played in England, they were kind of sloppy and they just, they didn't, they just, and they got this opportunity to play in Germany, no good place. And they played day and night, day and night, day and night for like 10,000 hours. And they came back a different band. They had honed their skills. They had developed a harmony. They gelled. They, 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 they came back different than they, because they put in that hard work, and then they stepped foot on American soil and sang, help, I need somebody. And they, everybody came to help them. So anyway, that's the, 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 what separated them out. Talent, yes. But 10,000 hours. And we tend to limit ourselves to just why well, I don't have quite the skills. No. I could spend ten thousand hours Uh, practicing basketball and i'll never i I won't make it to a college team it's just not in me i'm too i'm a ground hugger i can't to me to leap in clear air under both feet two inches i'm like it's a miracle i was made to be near the ground and i can't i can watch basketball for hours and hours and i've been to and get up and just shoot nine air balls in a row i'm just not does so it's not just about do hard work and you'll become something that you're not but it's take who God's designed you to be and be the best you you can be. Keep at it. Don't give up. Stay at what God has given you to do and be or you'll end up missing. We, went, we have not been to a movie. How many years has it been since we've been to a movie? a lot of years i mean we just are old and we don't go out and you know anyway we just covid and blah 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 we went to a movie this week because one of our our friends recommended it and we were like the only people in the theater at first and that's always a little scary you wonder "Mm," then it hit me it's probably a good movie that nobody's there the good movies people to go see it's the nasty movies they go see anyway it was called american under uh, under american underdog story let me just tell you, go see it. Whether you like sports or not. I started crying five minutes into it. And I'm a big baby. My wife said, like, honey, come and pull it together. You can't hear that. And it's not sad. I told one of our daughters about it. And she's like, dad, I don't need to go see a sad movie. I've got enough life to make me sad. I said, it's not sad. It was just meaningful. And it just, but it's the story of Kirk Warner. If you don't know the story, that's fine. But he was an underdog. And he dreamed all his life to be an NFL quarterback. And he put in the ten thousand hours and still didn't make it, and settled to play in an arena football, which shapes him into a different type of quarterback. Then, out of the blue, he falls in love with this woman that has two kids, and he's, he's in love. But all his life, he wanted to be great, but he never knew why. He never had a reason to be great, other than I'm going to be great or prove someone wrong, whatever it was. And then he discovered. That she was the reason he wanted to be great. He wanted to give himself to someone else. And then he met Jesus along the way. And I won't spoil the story to you, but it's just about God loves to take, and, and he ends up being a hero, but he doesn't get there without 10,000 hours of heartache and failure. He was bagging groceries in a grocery store after college football. Do you know how many people go from bagging groceries to being an NFL superstar? Nobody. So you're not going to do it either. So don't go that route. But anyway. So Caleb is one of these these guys that just says, I'm not going to let the dream die. He did the hard work. He was wholehearted when nobody was looking. He fought the battles of sin. it's not that he just skips all that. He had to have sin and temptation and attacks and failures. And being wholehearted isn't perfect hearted. It means when you stumble and fall and fail, you get back up. You don't lay in it and say, I'm done. You don't let shame have its way. So he steps up, brings his tribe, his clan. He's going to, I want that. I've been thinking about that mountain ever since I walked around it 45 years ago. I want that. In fact, look what he says when he goes to uh, uh, Joshua at verse 11. He says, I'm still as strong today as the day Moses sent me out, and I'm just as vigorous to go out to battle now as I was then. Now, that verse really challenges me because I think my first thought, because my makeup is to think, dude, you got no faith. Because if I said that to you today, I'd be a bold-faced liar. I'm nothing. I have none of the strength I had in my 20s and 30s and 40s and 50s. It's gone. It packed up, moved out. My bounce back bounced away. I don't have that. Some people see they misunderstand the story isn't about becoming a superhero. Take the story into the New Testament and apply it to our inner being. Then I can say I have that. I have more passion now that's matured passion, that's sober passion. But I have more passion now than when, she, when Kim and I first started out. God has expanded my territory by giving me my wife to allow her to be at my side as an equal that makes my territory so much larger. If one can chase a thousand, two can chase 10,000. And that just happened in the last 15 years of our ministry. I wish it had been the whole 43, 44 years of it. But God had to expand me to expand us so I would make room for her. God had to work in me to work through me. I had a friend sat on Fort Myers. We were sitting there on the river. I am saved. We'd gone to some youth meeting. My friend had led me to Jesus. He lived in a teepee with his dog Shawnee, and wore a furry cross around his neck. He was my kind of man. I met him at forestry school. His daddy was a pastor in Fort Myers, where I gave my heart to Jesus, Dave Anderson. Dave and I were standing on the river. I'm 18, a druggie that just came to Jesus, just missed prison by probation. And I'm standing there and love Jesus. And he says, I just saw a vision. I saw you standing across the river, in a large church with your hair slicked back, preaching to a giant crowd. Now you gotta understand at the time I hated Cape Coral number one. So I never even thought about it being Cape Coral. It wasn't like I'm gonna go to Cape Coral someday. That never entered my mind. I just what hurt what entered my mind was God had more for me. And I ended up on a little island stuck away from nowhere for 17 years. God hid me so I wouldn't break too many things. And so he's kept me over there. I never, I never thought in my wildest dreams I'd end up in Cape Coral. I sat down with a group of our leaders that we'd started groups out here. And I said, we got to find a leader to come out here and start this church in Cape Coral. Because I'm not leaving Sanibel. Who leaves Sanibel? You don't leave Sanibel to come to Cape Coral. <laughs> Unless you have to. And God's mean. I offended everyone in that circle. Everyone got mad at me. Because I said, You guys, just get off. Stop it. I'm not coming. I'll help you find a leader, but I'm not coming. Well, I end up repenting to him. And we end up coming because God's mean. The point is, is that God gives us dreams. What well, and your dream will be different. God may expand your territory by giving you another baby. My wife leaned over at me as she goes, I could have another baby. I'm like with another husband after I go to be with Jesus. I'm not up for it. I can't keep up with our grandbabies. And soon, biologically, we could have great grandbabies. But we're not open for that, enlarging our territory that way. We want to enlarge other ways. So Caleb says... I must. What do you mean? What we mean in the New Testament doesn't mean that you can have superhuman strength. I was talking to some of our older veterans in the first service, and I said, "But it, it's uh, getting old, ain't for sissies." And they said, "We don't call it getting older; we call it maturing." And we agree, maturing isn't for sissies. And so I, I, I just thought, God, why do you do things with us later in life that I wanted to do earlier in life when I had the energy to do it? Now I don't have the energy to do it, but I have the opportunity to do it. Because in the ways of God, as we taught in our book, The Power of Ugly, you're not strong in the kingdom of God because your vigor is not gone. It's not because you can get in the ring and fight an MMA bout and win. That doesn't make you spiritually strong. Men that can whip other men with their bare hands, as that's a very different kind of strength. It's not the strength that's going to get your borders expanded. It's not the strength that's going to get you to mountains that God wants you to conquer. You're not going to do it because you're big, bad, and strong. You're going to do it because, oh God, oh God, Help! I can't do this. I need you, Jesus. I've never been here before. Help me. And that's what expanding the territory will do. It exposes our inadequacies. So don't miss this. It just means that Caleb depended on God. Now, this next verse, I'm going to give it to you out of the King James Version because the NIV is wimpy in this, and I just can't. Ah. So the next verse, verse 12, he says, Caleb says this to Joshua. He says, throw it up there. Oh, there it is. Now, therefore, give me this mountain. Now, the NIV says, I want the hill land. No, no, he wants the mountain. It's so less drama to say, I want the hills. The hills are alive. But the mountain, give me, doesn't that sound, but it's just, it just more, more heroic to me. Give me this mountain whereof the Lord spoke and that he hadn't forgot it. <clears throat> well, you heard him in that day, how the Anakims are there. They're the giants. It's like a land where shack would be considered a peewee. It's the land. These are phenomenons. We don't. There's all kinds of different theories. We're the. I mean, these are giants. These are what he saw 45 years earlier, and they felt like grasshoppers in their sight. Now, I want to show you a little. Bullies, listen to me. you never take the mountain if you're afraid of the bullies. If you can't face the giants. Remember, a giant's greatest weapon is intimidation and fear, not prowess. Not being David learned that he whooped Goliath with a little sling because and it wasn't because yes, he was big and strong, but he wasn't mobile. David was fleet of foot. David couldn't lift more weights, but whoosh, whoosh, hit him right between the eyes with a rock and killed him. Being big is only important if you are in a fight that demands that you don't move anywhere, so these are big by intimidation. I want to just show you just a little clip. And we got make sure you kill these lights and get the volume up loud. Kill all of them. And, and again, I want you to think of Joshua and Caleb at a table eating a steak dinner. And one of the giants comes down and it's going to threaten them from coming up and taking the land. So watch this. It'd kill the lights first before you start it. We're learning. We haven't done a clip since the last one I did and it was a failure. But anyway, turn it up. You little old to be tracing this high. Night's nice, nice. getting mighty cold up here. In the air awful thin. A man like you getting long in the tooth should be searching himself out a warm corner to go lay down in. I see you're deaf too. on out old buzzard. You hear me now? Don't try riding over this man boy. Them wrinkles are war maps. Fought Indians, grizzly, and seen a hundred strutting peacocks like you get taken down hard. I don't know how you got so swolled up with yourself, boy. But you beginning to bother us. What's it come for? Marmits. What are you calling me?
1: A nuisance.
0: Stand up. I see it stand. Do that. You're gonna force me to take hold of that pistol. Then I'll have to kill you. And killing
1: don't mix well with a man's supper. Don't crowd him, son. You wouldn't be the first one he'd bury. You wouldn't even get a chance to clear leather on those hog legs. You better get some air. I said you better get some air.
0: That's out of the movie the sackets if you're interested in a good cowboy and uh i love he he never looks up from his state never looks up i'm not gonna stare at the giant i'm feeding on the word i know I'm i'm spiritualized i love that that's joshua and caleb sitting there because giants are intimidators. They're bullies. You know, when I went in eighth grade, I was in uh, uh, Fort Myers, uh, middle school, and we had this new kid came to school and, and he would come and wear a karate outfit. Now you got to understand Kung Fu was happening back then. Anybody remember Kung Fu? You may not even know who Kung Fu. One, two people. Anyways, a a martial arts movie. So it it put fear in all of us because we thought this kid was Kung Fu. You know, because he had a a Japanese, uh, whatever, a kimono on, a belt, whatever color it was. He bragged about it. And so he bullied me around. And and I I said to my dad one day, I said, Dad, I'm a little intimidated uh, about this guy. Ah, don't worry about it. Don't let him intimidate you. Just don't let him get the first shot on you. And then he just walked on. So I thought, hmm, don't get the first shot on me. Okay, this kid backed me in. I mean, he was bullying me. He wasn't taking my lunch money or nothing, but he was bullying me and just intimidating, making fun of him, mocking me. And so he had that uniform on one day and he bumped chess with me and told me to get out of the way, called me names. And, and I just finally thought, that's it, I'm done here. And I just, man, I, you know, some of you might know what a haymaker is, but anyway, I, I whacked him a good one right in the nose, man. I mean, I punched him as hard as I could, expecting him to go into some Kung Fu. What? and just destroy me but i thought i'm gonna get a good shot in before and i'm ready to go again. and he, he grabs his nose a little bit of blood but it wasn't anything big a little blood he goes he started crying and he ran he ran down to the hall he ran right into the principal's office and told on me <laughs> beating the bully was the easy part the hard part was facing mr Gauthier, who had a wooden leg and he would swing it like this one wooden leg and he had a paddle made out of a baseball bat cut down the middle and he let you hold your i can't bend down he let you hold your ankles and you had a mirror in front of you and he would come from behind and he'd do that peg leg would come out like that he'd take one or two and whack he'd literally lift you off the ground with that baseball bat those were the good old days weren't they Let's, we need some more good old Gothier. I don't know. I, what a name. Doesn't that name just put fear in you? Your principal, Gothier. Ooh, he scared me more than a bully. Well, that's just, you know, when you face whatever it is that's holding you back from doing what God wants you to do, that, that lie, that intimidator, that, that voice that says you can't do it, you're not enough, you'll fail. Fear of failure, fear of trying, fear of your past, fear of shame. It's the intimidation. That makes the giants powerful. But we've got a Jesus that's already gone up the mountain. He's already taken on every giant you'll ever face. He cut their heads off. He defeated them. And he walks back down and says, let's go see him together, son. I've already beaten them. Don't fear the giants. Now, that's not to make light of them. But that's to magnify the God that's expanding our t- He knows who lives there. He knows the obstacles. He knows the barriers. He knows your inadequacies. And so Caleb says, I'm going. And he's got a clan going with him. He's not letting the the, the intimidators stop him. And verse, uh, uh, but he said, he ends verse 12 with, but with the Lord helping me, I'll drive them out. Joshua blesses him and gives him Hebron as his inheritance. Now, it didn't sound like a contradiction. Joshua gave him Hebron. He had to go up there and cut heads off. He had to go up there and do war. He had to battle and fight. He had to go get what was his. And spiritually, that's the way it works in the kingdom. When you say, God, please enlarge my territory, you're going to have to go get it. Now, you can't kick the fences down. You don't want to remove the barriers that God's put in your life as boundaries until God expands them. That's where I made my mistake. When God expands, He'll invite you to move into it. But too many of us are like the word that Pastor Charles had at the men's retreat. He, he, God gave him a vision of this fruit tree. Some of you guys were there, remember. And he said, I see us as men getting. Have I already told this? No, okay. I, he said, I see the men picking up rotten fruit peeling off the bad and trying to find something good in it. And some of us are grabbing the low-hanging fruit. But none of us are getting up, getting the the good fruit. Because you can't can't reach the good fruit without effort. You you need help. You need God to pick you up, put you on his shoulders. You can settle for eating the fly-infested fruit that falls off the tree or the low-hanging fruit. And you can spend your life in developing comfortable things so that you don't ever feel insecure. My wife and I were on our way to one of our mountains. We'd been working on for two years to take a mountain in Burundi to get to a church there. And God kept shutting the door, shutting the door and COVID and shutting the door. We finally on our way there, we're in Heathrow Airport. We're going there in line early because we had a problem with our ticket. And there's two old men in front of us. And we got to talking to him. One of them got up out of a wheelchair. He wasn't, he wasn't unable to walk, but he just couldn't stand long. He had a big massive knee brace on. He hobbles up to the, to the ticket thing. And and while they're waiting, we of come. I said, What what are you guys up to? I said, Oh, we're they're, they're like, Wow, well, we're having we're having fun. They're having fun. Yeah, he they're brothers. He goes, Yeah, he's the older brother. He's eighty-four. I'm the younger brother, eighty-two. Eighty-four and eighty-two. Two brothers standing there, they had lost their one of their passports two days earlier in England, had to spend the night in the airport the first night. There's nowhere to sleep in an airport. And then they got a motel room, and finally the American Embassy got him a pass. I said, Where are you headed? You know, some palacious resort, you know? And you're going into some, you know, say, no, we're going to some obscure place I'd never even heard of, and somewhere in Zambia. And we're bringing Bibles and books to a, a school there we support, and we're going to invest in some leaders. I said, Goodbye, my new heroes, Joshua and Caleb, right there in front of us going to take new land. Was it dangerous? Of course it was dangerous, but it's dangerous sitting in the lazy boy. Now I know there are some people that relate this, take the mountain to their thrill seeking bucket of jumping out of things and jumping off of things and thrill seekers and adrenaline junkies and God bless you. That's fine. But this is just people that are coming to that point in life where you say, God, I want my life to count. I want to finish what you've given me to do one of our heroes moved to cape coral independently wealthy could live anywhere he wanted he's 81 years old he moves to cape coral so he could pour tea on thursday night at our dinner church i'm telling you that one and he wanted a group in his home and he had a group in his home and people came to jesus and his, that's all he wanted and the love on the teen challenge kids and 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 and, and over and he just wanted his life He could do whatever he wanted, but he just wanted to be available to God to say, Lord, give me another mountain. Can you say that this morning? Maybe you've got one in mind. Good. I'm not sure what our mountain is this year. All I know is we're going to go for it, and we can't do it alone. We want you to go with us. We want to take what's the next thing for the vineyard in Cape Coral, whatever that is. We are not wired to be maintainers. God didn't design leaders to be nursers and just burping people and, you know, everything will be over. We want to be mobilized. We want to do what God wants us to do. And I know you do too. So there's those mountains that we go after as a clan, but then you have your own personal mountains that God wants you to go after to enter into the things he's given and promised you don't give up. Don't stop dreaming. Maybe your dream has to tweak and be different and, and come at it a different way or different direction. But don't, you say, well, I don't, I have, my time's too limited. My capacity's too diminished and, and I'm gonna die with an unfinished life. Guess what? We all will. If you have any vision at all, you will die with an unfinished life. You got a tiny vision if it can be fulfilled in your lifetime. If God's given you something to pass on to your children, to your grandchildren, to people you invest in, but more than that, Kim and I talk about so many of our friends that didn't make it to 50 that had so much, and we buried them with an unfinished life, and I read this word this week from some old saint with war war scars, some old veteran, 100-year-old book, and he said this. He said, that when people die with an unfinished life, not, I'm not talking about wasted life. A wasted life is just somebody that just lived for themselves and lived for the enemy and wasted their life. I'm talking about people that died and they said so many dreams and abilities still in them. And it feels like, because the enemy wants you to feel it, it's like, what a waste. But this is what this little comment said. It just, it said, an unfinished life is a prophetic picture of the coming life. In other words, God doesn't bury his saints and waste their gifts and his investment in them. He's planted them for another earth that's coming, the new earth when the body comes out of the grave. It's not like they're going to retire and go to heaven and do some play on the the whatever up there. It's that God says they're coming, and I'm going to finish what I started with them. I'm training them for something that's coming, and it's not buried when they're buried. God doesn't waste things like that. He's a God that redeems, restores, and reclaims. And whatever that life, I think of the four-year-old boy that died to shape me to become a worshiper. Four years he made it. You His life was wasted. Four years and God allowed him to impact and mold and shape two of God's leaders to lead others in worship. I would have never led people in worship the way we lead had I not held that dead body in my arms as a 23-year-old pastor. And on the way to the funeral in the back of our car, we only had two four-year-olds in the church. Him and the one that led us in worship. And on the way to the funeral, driving in the the car uh processional, she starts singing. the parents are jim and Sharon Jim and Sharon are- sad. I'm not going to get it right. I don't know if you even remember the words, but Jim and Sharon are sad of course we're we're cried, we're sad, we're all sad she said but but Matthew's not sad because he's with Jesus, and I'm about to pull off the road. I'm crying so hard, and it was just a prophetic word that came to us. He's not done. It may feel wasted, but God's not a God that buries his gifts in the ground and leaves them there. So I'm just saying this in closing. God's got things for you more than you believe for yourself. Stop settling for low-hanging fruit that people hand you. Start finding some things in God's word that you found on your own that you sought after, that you, you wrestled with God over. What is that? Start asking God for a bigger vision. If I could, I'd go around and tap every one of you in the chest and say, there's more in you than you're settling for. There's more in you. Don't let the failures of the past and the heartaches and the mistrials and the whatever, don't let it, don't let it become a self-imposed boundary. That that's it. I can just be this. Because I did that. Or I can just be this because I don't have that. Your limits are God and what He wants for you. Now, sometimes He shrinks the boundaries to increase your effectiveness. And I watched Him do this with my hero, my father in law. He's got horrible knees and neuropathy and, 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 she, she protects his wife and, and he resigned as an elder because he can't bring her to church because of COVID and health issues. And he's stuck at home pretty much all the time. And he develops this prayer intercession for people in crisis, life or death. And I don't know how many hundred people he has leaders under, under him with leaders under them. And it just cascades out into this ministry that's touching lives all over. And he prays for us every day. And there's there's an expansion in the kingdom because of his limitations in the natural. And so God sometimes expands us by shrinking us, but not in heart. Sin shrinks your heart. Sin will shrink your faith and make you settle for selfishness. But faith will enlarge and swell your heart like secretariat who ran and ran and ran and ran and ran. How? Because it had an enlarged heart. And I pray for that for us and for our church, for you, that God, when you get to that Jabez, bless me a lot, Lord, and expand my territory, which know first that he's going to expand you to walk into, or you won't even see the expansion. You won't want to. you got to be expanded. Swollen heart. Swollen because it's been filled with. We watched this cooking show, and they got this new device. Some of you cooks are up on it, where they injected into this ham and just blew it up. What's it called? It's like an infusion of whatever all the stuff they're going to cook. It was like, the ham just blew. And then they cooked the life out. And then it was so, it was infused. That's why I just think, Lord, come and pfft, pfft. swollen heart. Swollen with what? Faith. Eat, eat the word. Stay. Get, get something nourishing in you. God, expand my, my moral courage. And you can whip people with martial arts, but cower temptation on the internet moral enlarge my my moral courage to resist the things that are going to shrink me from entering into my expanded territory who wants an expanded territory if you lose your soul getting it that's not a healthy expansion God wants you to walk into what you're ready for And so for whatever reason, Caleb had to wait 45 years. I'm not saying everybody has. It's not a biblical principle that until you're 85, you can't find your way into the fullness of what God has for you. Because you're 85 might be 35. Because there's no guarantee you're going to go to 85. I'm not trying to be morbid. I'm just saying, you don't know. David said, Lord, teach me the number of my days and apply my heart to wisdom. I don't know what God gives us, but but we want to... we want to fulfill the things he has for us. Now, again, we're not going to accomplish everything. My wife has more dreams and visions than 10 people could keep up with. And that, and sometimes you feel overwhelmed because she has so many things because a lot of them are going to be after I'm gone and she has the freedom not to have to worry about dragging me around all the time. But she's going to enter into a lot of those things in the new heavens and the new earth. Those passions and dreams that she laid aside to do ministry. So don't feel you've lost something because you laid it down to do something else. Because God doesn't bury us and waste the investments that he's put in us. So I'll just say this in closing. There's a, a mountain we've all got to take. And it's called Salvation. And it's a daunting mountain because I'll never get up that mountain on my own. And there's things to face going up that mountain that are guilt and fear and evil and death. And, and there's giants that make me want to cower until I realize that Jesus put his arm around me and said, Son, let's, let's walk up this together. I've, oh, when you start looking at that giant of guilt, I already beat him. Wiped him out on the cross. But what about that giant of just my feeling of dirtiness? And I Beat him too. Washed him with the blood of Jesus. But what about that, that threat of, of, of death that, that's going to tell you? I've already cut his head off. Beat him. Conquered him in the grave. But, but Lord, you don't know. You don't know the rejection. I'm going to beat him already because I'll never leave you and I'll never forsake you. You walk up the hill of salvation because he carries you up there. Because he's already gone up there and made the way for us to go. And salvation is him inviting us to come and inherit what he's already accomplished. But you gotta say, yes, Lord, I need that in my life. I surrender to ever thinking I'll get up the mountain of salvation in my own strength. No matter how hard you try to crawl and be good enough and try to try to know enough and have all the Bible answers that you could say, you're not going to make it up the hill. Nobody can. That's why he came down to lift us up. Would you let him do that today? Let's pray together. If you just take a moment, if you're here and just you've never sealed that deal with Jesus, you've never said, Lord, I need you in my life, and I want you to take me up that mountain of salvation that you've already won for me stop letting the bullies the lies the enemy rob you of going up that hill. Jesus has come down this morning to say let me lift you up. So what do I do? What how do I you just simply surrender and say Jesus come into my life. It's it, it's it's the borders that get expanded of eternity. That he gives to you when you invite christ into your heart father i pray for courage for anyone that's prayed that prayer this morning online lord that they'll respond in boldness and courage unintimidated by the bullies that you've already defeated give them the grace to stand lord in jesus name amen before we close in worship if you pray that prayer with me online just text us, I said yes to Jesus as Lord. We want to celebrate with you. We pretty much have someone every week online. Could be the same person over and over again. We thank you for the encouragement. But you got to grow once you make that commitment and follow up and with Jesus. But I'm just having a little light moment. But if you prayed that with me this morning and, and you've never publicly stood, I want to give you an opportunity. I'm not trying to embarrass or shame anybody. We want to celebrate with you. I want to invite you to stand right where you are and say, I said yes to Jesus as my Lord this morning. You prayed that prayer with me or maybe last week or the week, but this is your day to go public in 2022. January, what's the date? 16th. Six, Be bold. Stand say, I say yes to Jesus as my Lord. This is your time to accept his promise for your life. Be bold. I say yes to Jesus. As my Lord. Okay? Well, let's all stand together. Honey, come on up. You know, that word wholehearted is the word I want us to marinate on in worship. If you were just to guess, not being critical, but being honest, in one to ten, in ten being wholehearted, He's got it all. Are you, are you getting near? Are you moving towards the 10? Or is he shrinking away? Are, are you beyond? Maybe you're at a one or a two. Be honest. It's okay. But don't stay okay with being at a one or two. Just even as we worship, let him calm. And take take more of your heart. Take more of your heart.
1: I just feel like the Lord's saying that he wants permission. He wants permission from your heart to say, Lord, I will go wherever it is. I will face that mountain. There is intimidation upon hearts that is deeply ingrained. Maybe some of it was spoken over you. Something was said to you in your life. Maybe there's uh, just insecurities and fears, but you doubt God. And you don't have the trust that he has more in you than you know. That he wants you to take that mountain. This just isn't something we beg God for. This is something God wants you to do. He wants you to take that mountain. That may be something in your family, as Pastor Jamie talked about. That may be something in your business that definitely is something in the kingdom something God's going to do with you here in ministry as a community missions there's many different ways you can take that mountain but we need to pray and as we're singing and worshiping this next song ask God to open your eyes to open your ears and to open your heart that you show me you show me what that mountain is And I'll take it by your grace and for your glory that your kingdom will go forth and multiply. So just listen to him. Let the spirit come.